Good afternoon and welcome to Madison Bookbeat, your home for Madison authors and authors coming to town. I'm Lisa Malowski. My guest is Shoshana Shai, whom I met recently at the Sequoia Library event called the 2024 Wisconsin Poets Calendar Reading. I sat next to Shoshana and felt very comfortable. She was knitting and we briefly chatted about poetry. I will say that I felt a kindred spirit with her. Shoshana Shai is a self-employed cat care provider, copy editor, and the founder of Poetry Jumps Off the Shelf and Woodrow Hall Editions. She is an author of five poetry collections. Two of her most recent books won Outstanding Achievement Awards from the Wisconsin Library Association. Shoshana is an editor for 101 Words. She was one of the seven finalists for the 2021 Fish Flash Fiction Prize, earned a notable story distinction in Brilliant Flash Fiction's 2022 contest. She was included in the Bath Flash Fiction Award anthologies in 2022 and 2023. Shoshana was shortlisted for the Flash Fiction Contest 2023 Awards, conducted by South Shore Review. She was a Best Small Fiction and Best Microfiction Awards nominee for 2023. Her poem, Not Wanting to Meet My Birth Mother, was a finalist for the Nagatuck River Review's Annual Contest. Welcome, Shoshana. I enjoyed your book, The Splash of Easy Laughter, which was published in 2017 by Kelsey Books. I read a note to the reader, which you include in the side of your book. The note explains this collection of poems was crafted in response to your own life with two exceptions, a cigar for breakfast and unplanned punctuation. You wrote a cigar for breakfast because you overheard someone in the grocery aisle and unplanned punctuation was based on the experience of a friend. My favorite part of your note was where you referenced that you do not believe something has to happen to you in order to be considered real. And there are often instances where a poem benefits greatly when allowed to muffle itself into fiction. Tell me more about your book. Well, um, I would say that my book was based on a lot of um, experiences that I did have. And I, I looked at uh, the experience of growing up and then, in turn, the experience of raising children. And as parents learn, <laughs> when you have children, you kind of relive the experience that you had as a child, as they move through the years. And um, that became really clear to me as I was going through the experience of parenting. And so I decided to put together a collection that um, centered on that. Please read why I chose my parents from the flash of easy laughter. Sure. Um, this was a really fun poem for me to write. Um, I had been told... Um, many stories about how my parents met, which is something that a lot of people have an interest in. 
um, when they are growing up, they, you know, or become t teenagers, and they're thinking a lot about <clears throat> what happened in the, their parents' lives before mm -hmm. they arrived on the scene. And <clears throat> so this one is titled, Why I Chose My Parents. Although I liked the way he chided her, I wasn't convinced. So I loitered in their little Illinois kitchen with its terry cloth toaster cover and silk screen curtain, watched the meat Kellogg's cornflakes, bananas under dollops of sour cream, push-ups on hot days. She did plies while listening to the radio. He sat in the breezeway sketching with charcoal. I had started following them at a camp banquet where he first saw her jitterbugging with another guy then tossed twigs at a friend's cleavage to make her jealous. Way before they ran into each other on a streetcar. Way before she decided he wasn't such a jerk after all and packed tuna fish sandwiches for their bike ride to Euclid Creek. Had my eye on a couple in Cincinnati, too. Although next thing I knew, my mom and dad were posing for a photo, their firstborn son barely old enough to walk dressed in saddle shoes, and seated, plumb between them. He had a smile wider than Nebraska. That clinched it for me. Thank you for reading that. There was another poem in the book that I was wondering if you could read. Could you read Call from the Squad Car? Certainly. Um, this was um, based on a difficult period in <clears throat> my uh, son's life when he was a teenager. Call from the squad car. Means the lights snapped on, covers thrown and boots laced in haste. A white sea panic that pulses red, the instant will to swim. On county highways, I don't notice homes nestled cozy in sleep. Just every knoll-top graveyard gate, every roadside cross and wreath. I like the cover of your, of your book, The Splash of Easy Laughter. Can you talk to me about how this came to be? Yeah, so it's, um, it's a photograph that I took of a clothesline in my backyard. And um, it was the last day of September, and I thought I had this... Um, image in my mind of something I could use for the cover for this book and realized that if it was going to be a clothesline, it had to be happen really soon because the weather was changing. And um, so everything was still green that year in September. And I found many of the articles um, that my children had worn as toddlers and that I had worn when they were that age and dish towels um, and hung them on a clothesline in our backyard. Um, and then I have the laundry basket uh, beneath them. And I have always had a, um, an affinity for clotheslines. You don't see them everywhere anymore. No, um, you certainly don't. Especially in the U.S. Um, you see them more in <laughs> European countries. But um, I just love the idea of clothes being outdoors and um, in the wind and the elements, and then you bring them inside. They have a certain smell to them that you don't get from detergent um, and from the dryer. So 
And since the book is about family life, um, I thought this was apropos. I do love the cover, and I thought when I looked at it, it would probably meant something to you. And that's interesting now to hear that it, it certainly does. You mentioned something to me at the library about how everyone can write a poem. Can you tell me more about this? <laughs> Everybody can write a poem. Um, it takes, a, I guess, an element of being aware of, the, of your surroundings and paying attention to something that evokes an emotional response. Um, at least that's how I approach it. Um, I often cannot um, decide that I want to write a poem. It's something that just kind of comes to me or happens, and it's usually triggered by a strong emotional reaction to something. Um, and so I guess if um, a person feels moved uh, to put down on paper what um, something related to an experience that they're having or they just had or some memories that they have, and they have a love of language, I think it, it's possible to um, create a poem. And from what I've observed, writing poetry is something very um, often occurs for teenagers. And I think because, you know, Teenagers are grappling with all kinds of new emotions and feelings and new awareness of their body, and um, they're going through a huge transition, and I just think they're more receptive at that time in their lives to, um, to creating with poems and with words how they're feeling. So. Yes. How long did it take you to write The Splash of Easy Laughter? Well, it wasn't a book that... Um, I didn't know it was going to become a book. I just wrote the poems individually over the span of probably 15 years. And then uh, when it came time to wanting to put a book together, I chose poems that had been published in journals and magazines, and I just laid them out on a bed um, and grouped them and looked at them and reread them and decided what worked together, what didn't. Um, and then they became a collection. I'm glad that they became a collection. <laughs> Thanks. I love the cover of the 2024 Wisconsin Poets Calendar, and I liked your poem, Bobbin. Can you read this poem, and could you also tell me how the cover came to be for the 2024 Wisconsin Poets Calendar? I don't have any information about the cover of that calendar. Okay. Yeah, I didn't have any part in that. But the poem is titled Bobbin. And <clears throat> it goes, We stitched our time together with velour and satin and silk. So now as my plane lifts me above my daughter's chosen city, I close my eyes from witnessing the unspool of distance between us. I wrote this because um, my daughter, I have a son and daughter, and my daughter lives in Portland, Oregon. And I usually go to Portland every year. She usually comes to Wisconsin every year. And um, it's always hard to get back on the plane and leave her. So um, that's how that poem came to be. So the chosen city is Portland, Oregon for your daughter? Yep. Okay. <laughs> 
I read your poem titled Comfort Words and Cherries, which was published on May 13th of 2021 by the Sunlight Press. Could you read this poem, please? Sure. Comfort Words. No better word than summer and the railing of your father's pontoon under your bare heels, the fizz of cream soda on your tongue, while the soft as silk breeze fingers a lock of your hair like it's relieved to have found you. It helps guide your father's fishing lure to the place where bass swim, and all you hear is the rustle of leaves in the tallest tops of the hickories and the gentle kerplip of his bait when it lands. And then there is kitchen, golden orange as the marmalade in its little crock, the smell of cinnamon when breakfast is baking before the cousins from Kentucky wake up, or the meatloaf in the oven with its onion broth glaze soon to rest nestled beside cheddared potatoes, exhaling an S of hot breath. Take them both, summer, kitchen, and you have cobs of corn, you have buttermilk biscuits and barbecue slathered on drumsticks. You have a pitcher of iced tea sweating onto the oilcloth, while a woman, your mother or your lover or your dad's live-in girlfriend, pushes blonde hair off her face with the heel of one hand, sets a plate of melon on the table there beside you. Really love that poem and and feel hungry after listening to it. <laughs> Did the food in the poem represent anything to you? I chose a lot of my favorite <laughs> favorite foods uh-huh. and um, I just this the whole thing of um, sunshine and summertime and the kinds of foods we have in the summer. I really wanted them in a poem mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, this is uh, just, I, I love writing this. I just had all these images having, um, I, I have to say that it was inspired by a visit to a friend's father's farm. Okay. Uh, where there was a small pond on mm-hmm. the farm and uh, we went with her father and he was fishing. And I was thinking a lot about her childhood growing up there and the poem came. Yeah, I found that poem on Twitter. On Twitter? Yeah. Huh. Very odd. Yeah. Hmm. But it's so long. I mean... It, it is very long. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 like, I really relish that poem. I uh, was also going to ask you, I, I saw that you have done work in the past for the Wisconsin Humanities Council yeah. in Madison, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Can, can you tell me about that? So I worked for the Wisconsin Humanities Council for about 28 years and um, was involved uh, with the Wisconsin Book Festival that um, we put that on for about 10 years or so before the library, Madison Public Library, took it over. And while um, we were involved with it, I would coordinate and facilitate some of the poetry programs that were um, presented in downtown Madison um, during the October Book Festival. And um, it it was a lovely experience. I got to know a lot of the local poets and, um, or poets actually from all around the state. Um, And some of the um, most rewarding 
uh, events that I remember coordinating. Uh, it, one of them involved um, talking about the use of first person in poetry. And we had um, a, a panel of poets that read poems where they adopted the first person uh, point of view and then talked about whether or not the poem applied to them personally and their own experiences and just what that means. Um, I find for myself, I like to adopt other personas and write poems from um, a person who is not myself and who has um, a different outlook on the world. And I find that this makes me stretch in ways that I, would, um, I wouldn't normally stretch. And it's tricky because often with poetry, people assume that the poet, uh, when they use the personal first-person um, point of view, that they are writing an autobiographical poem. Sure. Um, and I've, I feel that sometimes for the sake of the poem... You can't have it based on what really happened. I mean, leave that to the journalists. Um, so I like to take a lot of license. I guess it's poetic license to um, explore situations from other points of view and present them that way. Um, so that was a very, really interesting panel that we had one year on that topic. And... Um, some of the other panels dealt with themes. We would have a theme of some sort or another, and, and people with new books would read. And then a main component of all the events was a discussion with the audience after the, the panelists read. And I enjoyed that the most because there would be conversations amongst the audience and the panelists that you know everybody would join in on, or most of the people I, would have I've something. been to some of those. I really like those, oh. yeah. Uh, and the Wisconsin Book Festival is one of my favorite things. I didn't realize that it was, did you say run by the Humanities Building for a while? Wisconsin Humanities Council started yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, started started with it um, the early 2000s. Okay. And then I believe in 2013 um, gave it over to the Madison Public Library. Okay. Well, I definitely learned something new. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. How long have you been knitting? <laughs> knitting. Oh, I am not a knitter <laughs> per se. Um, I just do. Uh, I knit um, wristy cuffs for um, the wrist, you know, to keep oh. warm in the winter. Yes. And um, I've knit scarves, but um, I don't do anything where you have to count a lot. Okay. <laughs> anything really simple, I will. I will take on, but um, it's mostly just to handle the yarn. I just love to handle the yarn and have something for my hands to do. Um, and uh, but I don't do sweaters or hats or you know anything of that nature. What book are you currently reading? Oh, great question. I came upon um, two poets that I absolutely love and want to read everything they've written. And I love when that happens. And I love it when that happens and it turns out that um, the poet has written more than one book. Um, right now, my favorites happen to be Judith Arcana, 
Um, I came across a book that she wrote in 2005, um, which with poems about motherhood, um, and it covered just the whole gamut, um, abortion, adoption, from all kinds of perspectives. Um, it's titled, What If Your Mother? And in that book, as I was just speaking about adopting different points of view, she, she takes different, you know, um, aspects of motherhood and then writes poems that um, deal with the same topic but from different points of view. And it just made for a really um, cohesive collection, just a rich collection. It's, it's a wonderful book. And another poet that I just discovered recently is named John Gallagher. And he has a book coming out titled My Life in Brutalist Architecture. Um, Interesting title. <laughs> I know. And um, it's not out yet, but it will be soon. Uh, the reason I know about it is that I was the copy editor for it, um, for Four Way Books. And his, his collection is about growing up um, having been adopted. Um, he was adopted at the age of three, which is kind of um, it made for a very rocky start sure. uh, to his life because he um, had experience living with his mother for three years. Um, but anyway, those are the two that I am currently reading. Those sound fascinating. <laughs> you founded Poetry Jumps Off the Shelf program in 2004 with the mission of placing poetry in public places where it's not expected. Can you talk about this and what it means to you? Sure, yeah. So I wanted to bring poem, poetry out of the classrooms and libraries and um, bookstores um, into the public arena where people who assumed or had decided they didn't particularly like to read poetry would come across it during their daily lives and read something and, and maybe find some affinity with it. Um, and so I decided to partner with um, companies in Madison to, um, in order to distribute the poems. And so um, this was... Um, in the uh, mid-2000s, there was a company in Madison titled Community Car. I remember that name. Yeah, and that was a, a car-sharing program. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so um, I partnered with them. I put together books of poems by Wisconsin authors, little palm-sized vinyl-covered books that were kept in the glove compartments of the community cars so that... Um, Whenever anybody um, checked out a car or returned it, there was a logbook inside the glove compartment that they had to sign out. And so they would see the little poetry book and possibly take a moment to read a few of them. Did you get feedback on that from, the, from folks that, that took time to read it? I didn't. Okay. I don't know if Community Car did. Yeah. They may have. Um, I also partnered with um, Budget Bicycle, which, yes, I know budget bicycles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they had a bicycle sharing, a red bike program. This was before B-Cycle. Okay. And um, I did laminated bookmarks attached to the handlebars of budget bicycle. And did you come up with that on your own? 
Yeah, um, the poems were by poets all over the state, um, and um, they budget my bicycle was agreeable to attaching them with little chains to the handlebars, <laughs> and then um, I also partnered with farmers around the state uh, with note cards attached to. Uh, many of them would have maple syrup. Oh, I and, like maple syrup. Yes, and they would have um, a poem about maple syrup attached to the little thumb hold on the jug. Mm -hmm. um, and I worked with different farmers who sold at farmer's markets or had a mail order business. Um, again, the poems were laminated and attached uh, with little chains. That's great. And um, I worked with the... Um, I think she was, was she the poet laureate at the time? There were a couple poets um, that I worked with in town who, um, uh, we had jawbreaker capsules. We put poems inside the capsules, and those were then dispensed by what we called the Versomatic, and it was a gumball machine. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the gumball machine traveled around to different um stores and taverns and community centers um you would you didn't need to feed it money you just turn this the um turn the uh dial right and the capsule would come out with a poem in it and the theme for it was luck of the draw okay and so <laughs> um that was another uh, poetry jumps off the shelf project so I had, like, different themes <clears throat> every time I did this. Um, as I mentioned, Luck of the Draw was one theme. Mm -hmm. uh, postage Due, No Direct Route Home. What is Postage Due? Postage Due was about, um, it was however poets wanted to interpret it. Okay. Um, but often it had a lot to do with waiting for mail or writing somebody um, a letter or um, a postcard. Right. Um, or about, just about the whole process of reaching out through uh, language and the written language. Right, right. And I also, um, I, when I worked with B-Cycle Bikes, um, the theme for that project was poems about specific Madison locations on the isthmus and because it, this was when b-cycle was just getting started okay and so they were mostly on the isthmus and people would write poems about different um, businesses on state street or about the lakes um, or certain street corners and that's what the poems um, related to and then the poems were um, on these um, they were produced as decals that b-cycle actually affixed to the bicycles. I love it. Yeah. So <laughs> it's been fun. Um, a lot of the distribution of these um, has been, as I've mentioned, through um, community centers and farmers markets and stores. Um, I've also worked with a local artist and we did postcards. The poems would be on one side uh, her artwork would be on the other side, and these would be made available at art galleries and bookstores and museums. And what I would do is um, these would have um, international calls. I would let, you know, I would advertise the submission call um, through the Internet and receive poems from all over the world. 
And so every poet um, whose work I accepted, they would get a packet of their postcards along with um, all the others, you know, like maybe five of everybody else's sure. postcard. And I would send that to them, and then they would distribute it in their communities. And That's so, fantastic, and what a great way to have that travel. Yeah, 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 with the idea that then, you know, people who picked up the postcards different places right. would use them. They would, again, be read by whomever they sent them to and uh-huh. um, possibly the mailman. <laughs> right, right. Mail carrier. Um, so, yeah, that was really a, um, a, a pretty cheap way to distribute the poetry mm-hmm. um, by asking the contributors to be part of the distribution. Right. Yeah. Lorene Niedecker is a well-known poet. She is from Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. You wrote, The Best Way to Read Lorene Niedecker's Poems. Is this one of your favorite poets? And could you read the poem for the audience? Certainly. Um, This one is titled, The Best Way to Read Lorene Niedecker's Poems. First wander through Emerald Grove's antique store amongst fishing nets and rusty kerosene lamps for a spit box in which to plant Queen Anne's lace. Unpin dish towels from a clothesline and notice how the leaves of the neighboring poplar shimmy in the wind. Enter a cabin that has been sitting empty while its owners take a cross-country train to New York With her book on your lap, cup the chin of a cat as it sprawls beside you on a windowsill, the breeze thick with the scent of cherry blossoms. Lovely. Is she one of your favorite poets? I wouldn't say she's one of my favorites, but I have enjoyed going out to Black Hawk Island near Fort Atkinson, uh, where she lived. Uh Uh-huh and um, reading her work and walking the places that she, um, that she was when she wrote these poems. And, and her life as a whole. I read um, some things about her own life and traveling back and forth between, um, I think it was New York State, on the train, um, and the relationships she had with people in, in uh, New York. And just thinking she was a woman ahead of her time in many ways. I've heard others say that about her as well. (laughs) And so I know that you're also a flash fiction author. Could you read the flash fiction you wrote titled Tin Roof? Sure, yeah. So this is a piece... um, Again, this is not autobiographical, but of course it's fiction. And so people, (laughs) when you use first person with fiction, people accept that. You know, they often think, ah, it's not necessarily her. Right. Um, So, yeah, it's titled Tin Roof. Mom says if I want to go to Pensacola, Florida this winter, we got to get more child support out of my dad. I got to get him to like me more, she says. How will I know when he likes me more? I'm watching for his Oldsmobile Cutlass. He'll laugh a lot, maybe even hug you. 
Mom insists I wear the velveteen dress she bought for my seventh birthday. Make him want to hug you, Peanut. Can you do that? My dad's car smells like cigarettes and wet dogs, although he doesn't have one. I tell him what I've learned about Florida. Maybe thinking about coconuts will make him happy. I tell a porpoise joke. He snorts a bit. I count that as a laugh. I inch closer in case he wants to put his arm around me. At Blicky's Dairy Bar, I don't smush my french fries into the ketchup gob, even though I want to. And I manage not to interrupt while he complains about his landlord. We're having tin roof Sundays, and I'm bringing up porpoises again when he cuts me off to take a call. I overhear a lady's voice going a mile a minute, and he's turned away from me, shoulders hunched, murmuring things back to her. His Sunday, whipped cream and all, turns to soup before he hangs up. One of them nuisance calls, he shrugs at me in explanation. We pull up to the curb back at my house. Fun being with you, Dad, I say, holding my arms out for a hug. He just winks at me. Stay out of trouble, okay? I push on the door, reach the snowbank, and pull my knee socks back up. The cutlass zooms away. It gets smaller and smaller, just like Pensacola. Do you have a preference when writing flash fiction versus poetry, or? No. Um, I started writing poetry um, in 1996, and I didn't start with flash fiction till 2015. Um, so I, I found, though, that going to flash fiction from poetry it was a, a, a kind of a natural segue. Um, both of them require condensing and distilling. And, um, you know, you, every syllable counts, and there's not a lot of backstory or um, exposition or, you know, there's, it's just very compressed. And sometimes I find, um, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but often I know when I get an idea for writing something, it presents itself one way or the other. And I like having that fluidity, you know, I c it yeah. can go either direction. Um, when I started with flash fiction, because I write a lot of narrative poetry, I tried taking some narrative poems and making them into a flash fiction story. And that was an interesting exercise. Um, sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. Sure. But, um, yeah, it's just, I, I love doing them both. And I'm, I'm really happy that <laughs> I enjoy doing both of them. Yes. And you also, I, f I feel like you do so many different things. You also uh, talk about a cat care business that you run in Madison. <laughs> yeah. Do you have cats? I, I started the business because I, um, my son was allergic to cats, and we had had one. And then um, he developed an allergy to it. It ended up getting run over in the street and dying. Awful. We, so... Um, I decided, well, I really want to have cats in my life. And 
my neighbor next door asked me to watch her cat, and which I enjoyed doing. And so from there, I started um, offering cat care to my entire block and then to my neighborhood. And then it just started expanding. Um, so right now, I do cat care for the Dudgeon Monroe, Vilas, and Regent and Nakoma neighborhoods. That's a huge area. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, um, but for the most part, I can walk um, between. Okay. It's not that far. Um, and uh, so I started that in 2003. Mm -hmm. So I'm um, 20, 21 years now doing that. Um, and I love that, too. And it, it's, it dovetails very nicely with being a writer. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I... Um, I get to spend time with a cat on my lap and um, a pen in my hand, and um, it's great. It sounds like it is. <laughs> I know that you you did write a nonfiction ebook more recently, which is tied to your work as a professional cat sitter. It is a sixty-page full-color guidebook for which you wrote the text, and your daughter did the design and the layout. Uh, I have that the. The ebook can be accessed from your website, catsittersecrets.com? Right, catsittersecrets.com. Yep. I think it's very cool that you and your daughter did this together. Are you working on any other projects with your daughter? Um, we're working together still on promoting it, marketing and promotion, which neither of us have much experience with. Um, so... We've been exploring Instagram lately, and um, yeah, so it was really fun to, um, she has cats, and so um, she's been, she'll take uh, little reels or videos of the cats doing things that I'll, and then she'll post them on Instagram uh, for me. She's handling all my social media accounts. That's wonderful. Yeah, and um and doing a lot of the research into the marketing. And then as far as the book itself, um, I had written the book and produced it um, as an e-book. And she took, you know, she looked at it and she said, wow, mom, you, you know, this looks like it came right off your, out of Microsoft Word doc. You got to gussy it up. Um, so she did all that um, work with the graphics and, and getting it, um, making it far more appealing um, so there's a lot of graphics and, and photographs and, um, just, I, I was so pleased, um, with how she transformed the book. And it's about, it takes an angle that, um, I, we haven't found replicated anywhere, um, in which the, I wrote the book to help other cat sitters, um, not so much as deal with the cats, because there's plenty of uh, books out there about how to start a cat sitting business and, you know, just the technical nuts and bolts of it. But mine um, touches on um, how to deal with the clients, how to deal with oh. the human aspect of that is different. doing cat care. Because yeah. um, I've learned a lot in the last 21 years in regard to... Um, people's expectations of their cat sitters and, you know, the, the necessity of deciding what it is um, you are willing to do and what you're not willing to do. Right. Um, 
and just, you know, how do you deal with situations that crop up um, that are unexpected? Right. And that, uh, you know, involve um, some quick thinking or some, you know, some decisions that you may not have contemplated before you got into the business. Yes. Um, and so I, um, that's what the book revolves around is, is how to um, meet other people's expectations, um, but observing your own boundaries and maintaining those so that you don't burn out. Sure, sure. What other website or websites can the audience go to to find out more information about you? Well, I have just the two, um, catsittersecrets.com and then poetryjumpsofftheshelf.com are the two websites. Perfect. Did you have anything else you wanted to share with us? Well, I do have a couple uh, poems that I wrote more recently. Um, and uh, <laughs> this first one, I, there's two. Um, sure. And the first one's titled, How We Let a Sixth Grade Boy Define Us. And um, I guess uh, what I can say about this is, I don't recall, I mean, this is something I've written in the last couple of weeks. I'm having trouble remembering. I think it was some line in somebody's poem that got me going on this. So it reminded me of something that did happen to me. So it's autobiographical. I'll say that up front. Okay. <laughs> How we let a sixth grade boy define us. When it was actually Janine Epper's mom tr striving to rescue our four-way friendship. We girls on the cusp of puberty with our white lipstick from Kresge's, chain belts, and go-go boots. Mrs. Epper claimed she had information about our contest, who Danny Shotwell likes best, was privy to his thoughts via the school mother grapevine. Danny decided, she reported, that Caroline was pretty, Janine smart, Kathleen spunky, and me nice. Equally admirable traits, she declared, putting an end to our flares, sulks, and tears, sending us back to the chrysalis of childhood, forget crushing on the same boy. Caroline, Janine, and Kathleen content to retrieve the double dutch jump rope. Not me. I suspected Mrs. Epper made it all up. Couldn't she have done a better job of it? Who wants nice? I'm just going to quickly read something. I'm speaking with Shoshana Shai about the book titled The Splash of Easy Laughter. I'm your host, Lisa Malowski, and you are listening to WRT 89.9 FM. I love being one of the Madison BookBeat hosts, and I'm enjoying my time today with Shoshana Shai. Shoshana has another poem she would like to share with us. Yes, this one is titled Lantana. Um, and um, it's also autobiographical. It's about my mother-in-law, who turns 100 in April. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. She living on her own? She's still living on her own in her own apartment. Can't, um, that cannot be. <laughs> wow. Well, she, she does have lots of help uh -huh. um, from uh, various uh, community members and family. Um, and uh, so, anyway, this one's titled Lantana. 
The new neighbor across the hall asked Jeanette would she like to go to a dinner show come April. Not even Halloween yet, at 92, my mother-in-law cried, Good gracious, George, in April? We could be dead by April. So they whisked themselves off to Culver's for caramel custard instead. Many meals since at the supper club on Main Street, Lucy's in Lodi, Bunny and Huck's. When we stop to visit her in apartment 4C, it's George this and George that, and what George said yesterday while they ate meatloaf and gravy watching Lawrence Welk. Did we see the photo of his airplane built over 20 years from scratch? All the flowers blooming upon his little porch? George will plant more lantana and dahlias next spring. Jeanette is 98 now, going on 18. Has she heard that poem? No. <laughs> it's lovely. That's it for this conversation. You've been listening to Madison Bookbeat, a weekly show highlighting local authors and authors coming to town. I've been your host, Lisa Malowski. My guest has been Shoshana Shai. Her book, The Splash of Easy Laughter, was published by Kelsey Books. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for three hours of jazz on All Around Jazz with Alex Wilding White. But first, the Insurgent Radio Kiosk. You're listening to Community Radio, WORT 89.9 FM, Madison.